Fendi, like the bag. <laughs> this is the Ivory Fuse Podcast. Well, 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 we are back. This is Mr. Fox of the Ivory Fuse Podcast. Happy New Year, y'all. Hope you got enough Merry Christmas and enough libations and spirits to push you into another year of who knows at this point. I mean, the universe and civilization is on random select at this point. It's like a bad game of bingo. You just don't know which way it's going to go. Before I get started with this episode, I wanted to say rest in peace to Sidney Poitier, who died today, I believe, this morning at the age of 94. I'll do a separate episode dedicated to the life of Sidney Poitier and his importance. Um, I wanted to first start off with that, since that's like the most important recent news. Um, You know, they definitely say that it comes in threes. You know, John Madden died, Betty White had passed away on the last day of last year, and now Sidney Poitier has passed away. So nevertheless, I wanted to actually get on here to talk about some more interesting dynamics about parent-child relationships. Um, So for those of you that don't know, I'm kind of like a culture aficionado, culture inquirist, if that's a word. Uh, I wanted to kick off this episode to talk about a discussion that was had or an admission that was made by a rap artist by the name of Jim Jones. Now, I'm sure a lot of you out there listen to rap music are somewhat familiar to that person, you know, when you hear that name. Or you've probably watched Love & Hip Hop or reality TV the last once in the last 10 or 15 years. So, Jim Jones is a rapper based out of New York City. It came up um, under Cameron, who is another rap artist out of New York City. Um, if you've been watching the versus battles or whatever, or even heard about him, Jim Jones was initially part of the Diplomats, then did some solo stuff, and then... I believe him and his fiance were the kickoff couple to Love and Hip Hop New York when that first started, which predates Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. So, six days into the new year, six days, six calendar days into the new year, Jim Jones decides to get on a podcast and share with the world that his mother, Mama Jones, who has also been on Love and Hip Hop, and at one point, him, his mother, and his fiance Chrissy did like a season of marriage boot camp, boot camp, said that his mother taught him how to kiss by actually performing the the kissing on him. So the 
I want to break this down a little bit um, because A, ill, but B, I wanted to do a digger deep, di- deeper dive into um, this cultural or generational thing that a lot of us do not discuss enough or are probably even aware as to how mothers groom their sons or well, single mothers tend to groom or condition whether subconsciously or intentionally to be not only like the man of the house but to be like their boyfriend or their husbands and when I say that I say that it's it's on a nuance kind of thing. Like, think about it. When, let's say there's a single mother and there is, she has a son that, that grows up, right? And at some point, she becomes possessive, obsessive, protective the moment another female enters the picture in her husband in her son's life and from that point forward there tends to be more friction between the girlfriend and the mother and nobody around seems to understand why now for those of you that watch love and hip-hop or you know are aware or familiar with it during the first couple of years that um Chrissy and Jim and Mama Jones was on love and hip-hop there was a lot of friction between his mom and his girlfriend at the time and a lot of that played out for the bulk of the formative years of the show in New York. Um, Tension around, you know, when you're going to give me a grandbaby, you know, the girlfriend or fiance had surprised his mom with designing and decorating her house. And the mother made a big scene about it. There's tension around her her son's relationship with the girlfriend. Uh, a need to control, a need to get in the middle, provide unsolicited feedback, input as to how things should be done, where things should be put, things like that. And, you know, it's one thing to be overbearing, but here you have a man that's like in his 30s probably in his 40s by now and every step of the way his mom's in the forefront pushing back against the girlfriend in some form or fashion and you know it wasn't until I was probably in my 20s that I realized that this tends to be a cultural thing to where there is a situation where women, single mothers, just 
for whatever reason, maybe there is no kind of, um, no kind of opportunity to have a life of their own or feel like things are kind of, time is kind of running out or it's really just essentially been the two of them his whole life. It's but it want that she feels that way. But at some point, it's like there's some kind of gray area, and it's to the point where it's too far gone. You have a full grown adult son that has his own life, and you're still kind of inserting yourself and pushing back against the girlfriend. And that's that's a to- toxic dynamic or a toxic uh, approach because if you guys actually think about it, this explains on the back end why they just haven't gotten married. Well, this is one of the reasons. I mean, on top of that, you know, for the duration that they have been on the show... Like, it's the the conversation or the arguments or the disagreements between his mother and his fiance at, at that time just was a little bit on the disrespectful side. More so from the, the girlfriend or fiance to the mother. And... In the back of my mind, looking back, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's one of the reasons why he won't actually marry her. Because as a son of a single woman, I wouldn't be, I'm not too keen on anybody outside of my family talking to my mother crazy. Hell, quiet as it's kept, I'm not too keen about family members talking about or addressing my mother in a certain way. So I can understand those couple of things could be the reason why they're not married. And I thought about it, I was like, that makes so much sense. Like, she had already crossed the line, clearly, when he was younger. And I don't know what would possess a woman to actually do that with her son. But that definitely explains a lot as to why things are the way that they are now. Because um, if you actually think about it, kissing is a very intimate practice, right? That changes feelings, changes self-esteem, changes how you view your position in the other person's life. Now, it's one thing to, like, be weary or skeptical about another person's intentions when they're with your child, even as they're adults. Especially if they're financially supporting you. Which, I don't think that was the case between the two of them. But, there's a lot that comes with doing that. Beyond crossing lines and crossing boundaries and, you know, it being somewhat, well, shit, incestuous, 
like you gotta you really got something going on with you like that's some Antoine Fisher type shit so for me when I saw the clip I was like my first reaction was I don't need any context I don't need to pull up the rest of the interview if it was in fact a longer video um usually when people hop on podcasts or their interviews being done through an outlet there's something tied to why they're there an album music some kind of book deal or something but this was very random six days in and on top of that, like, we're still kind of reeling over the death of Betty White. Like, 2021 20, really had the audacity. After we were just talking about, oh, she's, like, within weeks of her 100th birthday, that you snatch her on the final day of 2021. So, it's, it's already, 2022 is already starting off. Very strange. Um, You know, it's not uncommon for, you know, sons and mothers to be close. Or be, you know, up under their their mothers growing up. Um, But it's definitely something else when you're actually taking a central role in one of several rites of passage in a boy's life. No. First kiss, first whatever, um, should be experienced with other people around your age. So for your mother to be the one to do that, Like, I'm very curious as to the context behind that. Like, that's that's crazy to me. Um, And, of course, after the clip circulated, you know, Jim came back out and said it wasn't true. Eh, too little, too late. Um... That definitely inspired me to to examine, you know, what's common, you know, the kind of dynamic, what's common in growing up in culture, you know, the mother-son relationship, which is different or more common than a dad or father-daughter relationship. You know, in my almost 40 years of being on this earth, I've never heard of a similar conditioning or grooming between a father and a daughter. Um, In hindsight, looking back, when I was watching Mogwisha on Netflix, I kind of saw some hints of that. Um, But... That was pretty much a precedence on the front end in that first episode of Moesha, if you think about it. Like, 
how here you have a widowed father with a teenage daughter. He had been widowed for about three years prior to courting and, I guess, marrying Dee, who is now the stepmother on the show. But up until that time, Moesha was the one doing the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and looking after her brother Miles as, I guess, the unofficial lady of the house. The only thing that wasn't going on or wasn't occurring was the intimate part. But everything else that's essentially connected to the role of the woman of the house that's married to the man of the house or with the man of the house are the things that Moesha was doing. So it's definitely understandable looking back that for Marisha to feel some sort of resentment towards Dee leading up to and after Dee selling stuff in the house that reminded Moesha of her mother. But as the show progressed, if you actually paid some attention um, like I did, I didn't see it during the initial run of the show, but when I started watching it again on Netflix, I was like, Dee was really acting like Moesha was his property. Um, all the way up to season five. I think things kind of changed once it came out that Dorian was his son. Which was the worst idea in the history of television. Well, second to James Dunn on Good Times. But it was a double-edged sword because it was like she took her role seriously. And it manifested itself in her resentment for her stepmother. Yet, every step of the way, um, up until and during her relationship with Q, Frank was there just every step of the way to like not only ruin her fun, but embarrass her publicly and in the confines of their own of their house. Um going as far as telling her she looks like a hoe in the clothes she had on the midriff episode, which I think was the same episode that she got the piercing and a tattoo. And by that point, she was already like 17. Um, but the assumption and the implications that he had of her, even though she was getting good grades, she was holding down a job, she wasn't having sex. Just eventually got worse as time went on. Um, like, I had never seen that kind of fathering on television before or since. Like, think about it. Uncle Phil wasn't like that with Ashley. James wasn't like that with Thelma. Uh, Thelma. Um, who else? Ray wasn't like that with Tia or Tamara. Um... And it was strange to me because it was like all these shows coexisted in the same time in the same time in life. You know, 
early to mid nineties. I don't even recall like Heathcliff being like that with Vanessa, who was just doing dumb things and was testing her mother. Um, wasn't like that with Rudy. Um, wasn't like that with Denise, and he wasn't like that with Sandra. But I think I think part of the reason was he wanted to keep it positive and light. But that uh, Frank Mitchell and Moesha thing, that was teetering almost on some Joe Jackson type shit. Like, you don't have to physically put your hands on somebody to torment them and be abusive. Or even be team too much. But I use that example to coincide with my other example as to the mother and son relationship. Which, again, not physically abusive, but definitely um, detrimental as far as like development, how a man values a woman, um, and that kind of stuff just trickles down into their adult life. Now, because now that I think about it, you know, another thing, how that plays or exists in Jim's dynamic with Chrissy, as I've seen in the show, is that, like, he was rather indifferent towards her. Um, and I think allowed, or to some degree enabled, a lot of the dysfunction to tie over into his professional life. Mind you, a lot of us out here who know who he is and what he's known for have our feelings tied to what we see on the show. And we're like, this isn't really good for business. Like you got your lady out here like fighting other broads that are not tied to you at all. Dragging women for our friends. Not having that same energy with in her friends' relationships. Going head to toe, head to head with your professional and business relationships. Nobody's going to want any of that. And I think to some degree, having experienced that as a child kind of diminishes the the rush and the thrill of you know the f- that you feel when you're with another woman and when you're dating and when you have chemistry and when you feel excited to be with somebody it's a little deep and i i don't think there's enough conversation around how 
toxic and diminishing that can be. You know, on the the back end, when you have a woman who has a son and he grows up, he gets married to a woman, has kids, pays his own bills, has his own place, and, you know, every step of the way... He has a mother that's, like, chipping away at his confidence by telling him, oh, well, you're not, in my eyes, you're not a man to me. And then when she gets checked by a neutral party, she tries to spin it. And then, you know, or tries to put it back on him. But at no point did she... form a standard, um, live by example. For him to follow behind growing up. Like, people just have, um, you know, there's, there's just this There's just this demand in life where, an unspoken demand where we just have to find a way to survive. Like, make sure you get a job, take care of you and your family. Um, You know, we're taught, you know, not to rely on anybody else. We're just so caught up in the hustle and the bustle of life that we just forget to, like, parent and be cognizant of the fact that kids are watching and listening at all times. And the energy that you put towards other people, they model, the kids model their behavior after. So whether you are hands-on, or you're absent. There are effects associated with that. And the result that you're faced with when that child becomes an adult is immediate reflection of of you. So it's kind of unfair um, when we have sons and daughters that grow up in those kind of environments and it leaves them to be like hard or emotionally hard or numb to to life, to abuse um, causes them to be silent and closed off or in my case sometimes to be understanding or agreeable just to avoid conflict and I employ a lot of people I'm 
also working on this is to not be so understanding all the time because it forces you to look over the disrespect. And I know for me personally, when it comes to like family or familiar faces, I tend to receive just out of familiarity what they're saying and look like, you know, I'm agreeing and I'm coinciding what they're saying and that I agree with their approach that I know deep down is disrespectful, but I just choose not to say anything. And I have to understand that not everybody is out to be on my side. People love to have a moment. There are people out there that just love to perform, have this drama, get some attention, so on and so forth. And I, as I get closer to 40, I just have to be more assertive when I'm not in agreement with how I'm being treated. But the balance is also a, a work in progress as far as navigating and figuring out what's good for your mental health as far as what moment do we push back in the spirit of I don't agree with this, I don't accept this, I refuse this. And the moments where we're just like, this person is committed to misunderstanding me. I'm going to get up and relieve myself of this for the sake of my mental health. It's all about preserving the energy you have to keep going, to live life. It, I'm learning for myself, and that's a, a small part of growing and undoing or breaking a quote-unquote curse of some kind. Uh, a long-term way of feeling and thinking and processing and standing up at some point spiritually and saying to yourself this is where I get off this is where I'm not compromising more of myself good day you know On a larger scale of the topic of this episode, I wanted to dedicate this to just relationships in general um, and making sure or sharing with you how important it is to be in dynamics or relationships that are equitable equitable on both sides. I know some for some of us it's very hard to cut people off, family, friends, um, 
or even how to put that plan in motion. Now, some of us do like a pros and cons, checks and balances, uh, you know, really do a deep analysis as to the value a person has in our life. But you, but like myself, I think it would be best for a lot of us to go down the list of deal breakers. Um, for me, it's acceptance, respect, and um, integrity. And does this person actually give a shit about me? You know, and that goes beyond self. And there will be certain situations that come up where I'm like, was this person actually thinking about me? And if so, they could have picked up the phone and we could have had a discussion. Um, I know for a lot of you out there, it's probably been a struggle. I mean, we all have childhood friends, friends we've went to college with, friends we met at work. Which, by the way, unless you guys have had substantial moments a mutual respect, which it's not hard to obtain, um, some people are built and raised to respect others. Unless you have those things, people at your job are not your friends. I mean, quiet as this cap, a lot of them are miserable. And you have to, and this goes, this piece of advice goes with anything, can apply to any kind of dynamic. That some people inquire because they care or, or they're nosy. And it's up to us to really dis- to ascertain which one of those applies to certain people. Um, and it's all about opportunity. Like, realize that, like, there are people out here that whose character is driven by opportunity. Um, and... That usually manifests itself in performative displays in front of people. Uh, that, you know, the energy behind that that wasn't there, you know, the times that they've seen you. Um, it's things that are like rather convenient, rather suspect. Um, and it makes you doubt the time that you guys have spent around each other. You know, we can't really do much about life and we can't control other people and how they move in life and how they act and all that other stuff. But we can choose to not be 
a part of that. To not be a part of that, that, uh, that shit for validation and likes and all that other stuff. Because in this social media driven life that we're in right now, a lot of people are doing the absolute most for likes and attention and validation. Um, and it's weird. It's very weird to me. But nevertheless, like, we... We should really be aware as to the the closeness or the toxicity in some parent-child relationships and how that can lead to some very dire and very dangerous outcomes. So this is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast. Uh, I want to, before I head out, you know, follow and follow and subscribe to wherever you see the I Refuse podcast. You know, we're on YouTube. We're on four or five other streaming platforms. And we're also on Patreon. Also wanted to wish a happy Eugene Goodman week to Eugene Goodman. You know, yesterday was the anniversary of the one-year anniversary of the Capitol insurgency. And Eugene Goodman was the Capitol officer who masterfully redirected the mega idiots away from key congressmen and women and representatives which could have led to more injuries and more deaths to another part of Capitol Hill you know I didn't it's interesting that he was not named the time person of the year usually they they picked a celebrity or something. And it would have been nice after the shit year that we had last year that they actually made, that Time Magazine made him person of the year. That's neither here nor there. I have no control over that. So be sure to follow, follow and subscribe to the I Refuse podcast. We have more content coming your way. Uh, pretty soon we'll be dropping an episode about DL culture. I have a very special guest star on that episode. Um, it'll be a doozy um, as we explore what the image we had of DL men growing up, our own personal experiences with DL men, and what the how the image has changed over the years and the curiosities and the concerns we have with the Elmen um that are 
openly open with it, but still kind of closeted. Um, and we also delve into some other topics towards the end of the episode. So be on the lookout for Sexual Discourse Part 1, The DL Man, coming soon on streaming. And also be sure to check out that YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow the link in, on our Twitter page, I Refuse Podcast, all one word. Link's in the bio. And there's a link in our IG page, I Refuse Podcast. Um, there's an underscore between the three words. And we'll catch you guys later. Bye.